Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, which is President's Day, a, a holiday, but we still had it out there. And what we found last week was that, similar to what we've been seeing, the consumer is resilient and really just positive uh, sentiment generally from CEOs, especially some of the banks who were speaking. Brian Moynihan said, that of middle market clients, they were saying that overall, they thought things would be much worse now than they are. But when they look around, they're feeling fine. So that was the title of our newsletter this week was feeling fine. Eric, any thoughts? I smile when I saw the title, feeling fine. I think it's really represents what you've been capturing on these calls. We didn't do a podcast last week and the title was Let's Down. So it's Let's Down and Feeling Fine. So it's good times for the consumer generally. There's not a lot much that has changed ever since like banks reported last month. So I think just banks having conferences last week and most CEOs, including the Goldman Sachs CEO is saying, okay, the consumer is still strong. So the argument is about, are we having a soft landing or no landing at all? So I think that's the main argument. Generally, the consumer is feeling okay. But I think the key picking this week is that try get a restaurant's reservation or a hotel, hotel room, both of those are unavailable right now. People are still, I think, maybe enjoying the experiences of post-pandemic pleasure, having been pulled in during the pandemic. And if you combine that with what the Fed chair said a couple of weeks ago about service inflation being sticky, I think it looks like this is not going down. Or at least we may need to readjust or be more comfortable with a bit higher inflation going forward. Now, what's your take on all that? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Last week, we got CPI and PI data, which was a little bit hotter than expected, especially on the core side. There still seems to be like 4% plus inflation, underlying core inflation that's in the economy. And that's obviously running a full, that's double what the Fed would want at 2%. And so we got actually some pretty negative inflation data points last week, but still the tone of this newsletter this week was very positive. And even with respect to inflation, I think Goldman Sachs' CEO was talking about how investors feel like we've conquered inflation at this point and they're looking past inflation. And I don't know if this is a circumstance where people feel like we've gotten farther ahead of inflation than we really have. And the Fed is going to come in and continue to pump the brakes on the economy, or if we really are headed for this soft landing or no landing situation that people seem to be expecting now. It's, that's the outstanding question. I think going back six or seven months ago when the JP Morgan uh, CEO talked about there being a hurricane in the horizon. My conclusion now is that given how the sentiment has changed, especially bank CEOs, it could be that they're expecting something much worse. And now whatever is happening is actually a bit benign. If you look at beyond just the macro section, the nature of financials, capital markets activity is starting to pick up, meaning that people are becoming a bit more confident, or at least that they the range of expectations is narrowing to such an extent they're more confident about the future. So they're able like, to put out a bit more capital to work in the markets. Anything else you may have picked up? Yeah, I think going into the more company-specific areas, in the consumer section, we had a few different quotes from Trade Desk. And there was one that really stuck out to me, which was them talking about the uptake of UID2 being much faster than expected and having 75% market share, which... UID2 is something that, honestly, I need to understand a little bit better the mechanics and who benefits. But my understanding is that for social media companies like Snap and Meta, the lack of being able to 
target consumers after Apple made its privacy moves has been a major headwind for their ability to grow advertising revenues. And the trade desk was saying that with UID2, this problem of cookies and user identification has now been solved, which was pretty, that seems like it could be a big positive catalyst for those social media companies. Do you have any additional insights into UID2 or what's going on there? So I think last time I checked, I think which was a while back, I need to update my knowledge on it. Think of this as having two uh, parties involved. So one there's a consumer and then there's a publisher who wants to serve them ads. They have this thing in common. They both want relevant ads for the consumer because they're able then to get things that they really want to buy and then they're able to maybe get them at a discount or something. And to the publisher, they want to put out relevant ads so they can be able to increase their ROI. So the solution that UID2 provides is to be able to do both of these things without compromising on privacy. So UID2 is more of an open source solution to this problem. So what happens is the consumer shares an email or phone number that is hashed out and encrypted and then shared with both of them. And then the consumer can be able like, to change some of the details that they want attached to them. And the publisher is able to get some of these details and be able to deliver relevant ads and increase this ROI at the end of the day. So the uptick has been a bit surprising when the CEO of Trendesk uh, said that around 15% of the uh, third-party data ecosystem was already on UID2. And then they expect that to increase to around 75% by the first half of this year, meaning that this solution seems to be very relevant to the ecosystem. And as such, the uptick is unsurprisingly good. And I think for that, the becomes a huge catalyst for growth for companies that are involved in this area, like the trade test themselves. Maybe I can read a bit more and the next time we can have a proper, deeper conversation. So beyond that, though, I wanted to also touch on a few takeaways, maybe from the tech section. It's about ChatGPT. It's been the front and center of activities in the past two weeks. And last week we didn't have the podcast, but I think Let's Dance was all about CEO Satya Nadella calling the Google to come dance a little bit in the world of a search engine. It feels like we're in the new phase of search wars and all that, and browser wars, and once again, reactivated. And there was a bit of a reference to Netscape. I don't know, what's your takeaway from that in terms of the relationship between those two and Netscape and AI and ChatGPT and all that? Yeah, I think it was interesting. You're really seeing, this was IBM CEO speaking. And you're seeing competitors to OpenAI really coalesce around the idea that ChatGPT is inaccurate or presents inaccuracies. And that's becoming a brand idea identity that competition is pushing onto ChatGPT, I think. And so it's interesting that's a vector of attack that they're coming at. And you saw IBM's CEO pushing that as well. Also, he was saying that he basically, the Netscape OpenAI ChatGPT comparison was obviously meant to show that hey, yeah, somebody launched this game-changing technology 30 years ago now, and it didn't end up winning the day. Somebody else won the web browser wars. So it was to remind people that there's still a big industrial comp competition that's coming in this. And just because ChatGPT launched to the war doesn't mean that they're going to end up win winning. I think it's particularly interesting that IBM's CEO is talking about exactly. this because of IBM's complete irrelevance to this conversation so far. Obviously, they made a big first mover push with Watson, but that has not materialized into much economic value. I would put more stock into this, I think, if it were Google CEO or somebody from the Amazon team talking about this, but IBM is irrelevant, it seems. One of the questions that was fronted to him was why IBM did not launch ChatGPT. And then he, his, the reasons he gave, I don't know what you take from them. One was that they focused on very black box kind of experiences. They didn't want where the user interacts with the 
like now chat GPT and quickly get the answers themselves. And then the second reason he gave is that they focused on very niche areas like health where they didn't have expertise. And that's why they failed in that. He himself acknowledges that what chat GPT has done is to actually bring to the forefront the conversations around AI and its usability among people. And you can feel like across the landscape, chat GPT is causing such a massive reawakening among companies. Anything else that you took away? Um, perhaps one of the most surprising was Amazon calling people back to their office and that the impact that would have maybe on office leasing and commercial real estate. Any takeaway from that? Yeah, I definitely see more in-person work happening these days. It feels like the pandemic is very much in the rearview mirror now and people are going back into offices or really just feeling the need for social connection, I think, in work. And I think even though we're still very productive in a remote work environment, there's more gravity pulling people back into offices. So I don't know. I still don't know whether it balances out in a hybrid situation or not, but there is definitely more momentum towards office. Yeah, six or so months ago, it's very few companies that dare say what Amazon is saying right now. But I think like with the post-pandemic life happening, layoffs happening, I think companies are taking advantage of this to really restructure a lot of the things that they wanted to do, really thinking keenly how to right size their workforce and how to make workforce more efficient. And one of the things is definitely bringing people back into the office. And a key reason they give is culture. It's really difficult to embed culture in new recruits if they are working for Paul. So we've covered a lot in the newsletter. So I guess that would be a good point to end this conversation. I think that's a good place to start. Maybe I would close with the quote from Charlie Mango said, go, go all in good bets. I think our good bet is a transcript and we really love it. So thank you for joining us this week. Bye from us.